This is IFS Talks, an audio series to deepen connection with the internal family systems model through conversations with lead trainers, authors, practitioners, and users. Today on IFS Talks, we're interviewing and talking with Paul Neustadt. Paul Neustadt is a senior IFS co-lead trainer and AAMFT approved supervisor. In his private practice, he specializes in couples therapy, parent coaching, and IFS consultation. He co-leads a monthly seminar for level one graduates focused on integrating the skills learned in level one. Paul has led workshops on self-led parenting, the therapeutic relationship in IFS, direct access, an essential skill of IFS, IFS and climate change, the power of presence in IFS therapy, transforming our reactivity to challenging clients and deepening our capacity to be present and attuned, and the gifts of our exiles. For 17 years, Paul was director of a community counseling and prevention program for children, adolescents, and their families. Paul has also worked in a college counseling center and community mental health center and taught couples and family therapy in a family therapy institute and two graduate programs. As an IFS trainer, Paul creates a safe, accepting atmosphere, attends thoughtfully to group process, and ensures that all parts are welcome. He is known for his clear, down-to-earth, and open-hearted manner. Paul has also authored a chapter called From Reactive to Self-Led Parenting in Martha Sweezy and Ellen Ziskin's Innovations and Elaborations in IFS. Paul, thank you for having us. Thanks for being with us today. Yes, thank you for inviting me. I'm happy to be here. Thank you, Paul and Tisha, for having us. How is it for you, Paul, to hear this bio? What parts come up? You are doing a lot. You are doing a lot around IFS. I'm I'm impressed. How is it for you to hear this bio? It feels good. It feels good. Just one thing I'll say about that. Part of my transformation through IFS. Yes. Um, I think, you know, my, my whole, my whole uh, life, including my whole adult life, I really, I did not believe I had anything worthwhile to offer. I had a part of me that was trying to convince me that I did. But um, basically, you know, I, I didn't believe it. Mm-hmm. Um, and not until uh, I, you know, found IFS and did a lot of my own inner work did I come to realize what I had to offer. Wonderful. And so, um, so now I do believe I have something, something to offer. And, um, and what's interesting is I have a lot of humility, actually, about it, because it feels like we all have something to offer. We all come into this world mm-hmm. with, with mm-hmm. certain gifts, and um, I just, I'm just grateful. I, just, I feel a lot of gratitude at getting in touch with what I have to offer. And I also have a sense that what I have to offer, a lot of it is kind of coming through me. It's not, it's, um, it's like I just open to letting the gift come through me. It's, it's, so it, my parts kind of, you know, enjoy it. They, they, they like feeling that we have something to offer, but it feels like it comes from some deep place rather than like an ego part of me that, that's doing this. Paul, can you share with us a little bit about your journey to becoming a therapist to begin with? Sure. So I, I grew up in a pretty dysfunctional family. Um, 
my father had bipolar disorder and was hospitalized twice and um, had a really bad anger problem. You, you know, he would go into rages. That might be scary for you as a, as a child. Or... Yes, yeah, I have, you know, I have memories of very frightening episodes with my father. And um, my father sexually abused both my sisters. Oh, that is sad, yes. So uh, there was a lot of dysfunction uh, in my family growing up. And so I, what, you know, what I know is I, I went into being a therapist really because it was a way for me to try to heal myself. Mm -hmm. That wasn't conscious at the time. I wasn't consciously saying, oh, you know. Yes. But that's why I, I, I know that's why I was drawn to, to, do, to doing it. Had you had your own healing experience in therapy? Had you, had you found anyone to support you in what you'd been through before you became a counselor? Um, I, you know, honestly, I have to say that the therapy that I did experience wasn't that great. Yeah. Um, it wasn't IFS. It was another. <laughs> no, it wasn't. It wasn't IFS. I always thought therapy was pretty mysterious. I didn't really understand it, mm -hmm. how it worked. Yeah. until IFS. You know, IFS really um, helped me to feel like, okay, this, this really does make sense. I know I, I, I get how it works, and um, both as a client and as a therapist. And how did you meet the, the IFS model? So 1999, my younger sister, who I was very close to, um, I feel like we're, she and I are soulmates. Mm -hmm. uh, she got cancer and, and died oh. very, very quickly in 1999. So sorry to hear that. And going through her dying with her um, was a very powerful experience for me. I had actually had cancer myself uh, a year and a half before she got cancer. I Fortunately, I, I survived. That was also a powerful experience. So I think the two things, my own cancer, facing the possibility that I might die, mm -hmm. and then going through my sister dying, um, the two together were very powerful. And, and um, it just there was some shift in me as a result of that. And uh, not too long after my sister died, I got a, a brochure in the mail that there was going to be a an IFS training in Connecticut. That was your 30s. How old were you? Um, I was, um, I think I was 48. 48. Scary. Yeah. Anyway, I just, when I read that brochure, I just like, I just knew that this is something I needed to do. And I was usually very cautious about, I mean, you know, this is a lot of money to pay for a training and, you know. New models, <laughs> your trainings. But I, I just had this inner knowing, like, this is something I need to do. So I really connected to having gone through that experience with my own, you know, facing death, my sister's death. Somehow it got me more in touch on a deeper level with, you know, what is it that I really need to do in life? <laughs> and then came this brochure. So It landed well. Yeah. And when did your special interest on um, parental styles come up in your life? So I have two children now grown, and my oldest has had a very, an extremely difficult life journey. 
when he was a teenager, he was um, he went through a really really rough time, mm-hmm. and but he was acting out a lot, mm-hmm. and we really didn't understand what was going on with him. It was very I have to say it was very humbling as a therapist to have a son, a teenage son, who I was totally at a loss for how to um, respond to what he was going through. Want to help him. Mm-hmm. And um, so really it was my own experiences um, struggling with parenting, I think, that got me focused. Uh, also, you know, I, was, I had been trained as a family therapist. So, okay. Mm-hmm. So I was interested in families and parenting anyway. Since the beginning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but, but that really deepened my interest in uh, working with parents, uh, my own experience. So I had a lot of very powerful experiences. You know, uh, the, the shift that, that I went through once I learned IFS, it mm-hmm. dramatically changed um, the way that I was parenting. So for you, there is a before and after IFS, clearly. Right. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I remember in that um, initial training that you taught, that I took you talking about how the language of parts was so effective in parenting your son and something something in that really landed for me you know just just thinking about our parts as parents um, having that language um, it it seems like that is a really a good home base for you and and you've written a lot and taught a lot about parenting um, is there are there any key points that are that are good takeaways that you'd like to share with parents or families? Sure. Um, so one one is that my son was very very good at he had a part who was very good that was very good at provoking me, mm-hmm. um, and I had I had a part that would always take the bait that he would put out. So he would provoke me, and then I'd re- I'd react, and we'd get into an argument. And once I learned IFS, I understood that it was really just one part of him that was provoking me, and that it was a protective part. I didn't know exactly what it was protecting, but but it, I knew that I knew that it was just a part of him, and I knew it was a part of me that was reacting. So once I understood that. Um, I was able to kind of step back and, and be curious, like, hmm, what would happen if I didn't react? If I didn't play my part in this drama that we were enacting, you know, what would happen? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I chose not to respond when he provoked me. And very quickly, that provocative part of him fade away. would, would uh, kind of fade away. Like you know, when, it, when it didn't succeed in getting me into the into the argument, it would just fade away, and then something else would emerge in him. Amazing. So that was like such a, a, a dramatic shift, just that one dynamic. And then I'll I'll just share another one. Um, another thing he used to do, he used to have these rants. He would just go on and on saying things that parts of me thought were absolutely ridiculous. I'd get really frustrated and really annoyed with him because of you know, my parts would say, "Oh, these—I can't believe he's saying all these stupid things." Yeah. Mm-hmm. So again, um, you know, with IFS, I was able to 
step back from my reactions, the part of me that were reacting so strongly. And I would acknowledge them. I would accept them. Of course, you know, I would, you know, say to myself, of course, you're reacting that way. Um, it makes sense. Um, and could you just kind of let me be curious right now? And actually, I also asked my parts, did they have, like, what was this about for them? You know, and did they have anything to offer me about what was going on with my son? And then I had this insight. And so I asked my son one time, I said, I'm wondering, when you're ranting, are you afraid that nobody is going to really listen to you? Mm -hmm. Are you afraid you're really not going to get heard? And it, it, like it's it so it just sort of went right underneath the ranting. And, and it was like true. It was like, yes, he said, yes, that's it. He hadn't understood that himself. But when I said that to him, it was like he recognized the truth of that. And I won't say he stopped totally ranting, but of course mm -hmm. it decreased so much. Amazing. And he could start catch he would start catching himself. Amazing. Ranting. It, so you know he'd catch himself and, and then he'd say, Oh, sorry, I'm sorry. Wow. <laughs> you know. So that was again, it was very powerful. It is. Yeah, he was met with your compassion instead of the critic. Yeah. I'll I'll share another, you know, I have so many, I have so many stories. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. So um, when he was 30, uh, so he had um, both mental health and pretty severe substance abuse problems. And when he was 30, he, um, he, had, he had a breakdown. He had kind of a breakdown, which is actually his second time. He had a second breakdown. Mm -hmm. And his, his drug use had, had been pretty bad. That was part of it. He was living out in uh, Oakland, California. And I went out there um, and I took him to... Uh, a treatment place. Yeah. He had actually found it, but he, he couldn't actually get himself there. So I took him there. Mm -hmm. And then uh, after, after he got out, it was a few months later, um, and he hated talking on the phone. He would not talk to us on the phone. So this was like two or three months after he got out, and we were worried about him, like, what's going on? So of course. we flew out to see him, mm -hmm. and I had made myself a list of questions um, to ask him about how he was doing. Yeah. So he takes us on a hike, and the first day we're there, and I immediately started asking him these questions. Yes. And he got very uncomfortable and defensive and just shut down. Mm. And I realized, oh, this is a managerial parenting part of me. This is a part reacting to there's so there was a part of me that was really really worried afraid for for him and then there was this part of me who was going to manage that by you know trying to find out all these things that were going on in his life and you know so so because it was a managerial you know part trying to be a good parent trying hard to be a good parent but it just you know it just triggered parts of him that you know, felt intruded on by me. And I think, uh, I don't know, just, I don't know all the things he was feeling, but whatever it was, it was, you know, he made him feel very uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. So again, I just was able to step back and, you know, thank that part for trying, but ask it to relax and notice that, you know, I'm here too. And, mm -hmm. you know, acknowledge the fear underneath. Shifting to self. Yeah. And, 
after, you know, once I did that, and I just thank these parts for, you know, sharing with me, I just got this sudden insight, which is he just needed us to love him. Mm. Wow. Mm. He needed us to love him and actually enjoy being with him. He needed us right. to enjoy him. Show him how, how, how much you, enjoy, you can enjoy him, yes. And just enjoy being with him. Yes. Like I, 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 I needed to totally drop my agenda and just have a good time. Help him feel loved and help him feel like we were really enjoying being with him. Wonderful. So, and I told my wife that and, and she said, oh, yes. She said, that totally makes sense. So that's what we did. We just spent three days mm-hmm. doing fun things, enjoying each other. And the last day we were there, that night, um, he came into our room and just started opening up and talking to us about what was going on in his life. And basically, you know, we found out all we needed to find out, but it was on his terms when he was ready. Um, and when, you know, he was feeling close to us. As we say, self-contaminate self. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing, Paul. Those are such beautiful illustrations of uh, shifting out of reactive parts in parenting and, and, and moving into the self-led parenting that you teach so beautifully. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Paul, uh, you work with parents as much as I understood, right? You have so much to share and teach them at and help them. But um, Paul, parents who really want us to change their sons and daughters, they don't want to do inner work or change themselves in any way, right? Often, often that's the case, yes. How, how often? I don't know, in Lisbon is so often. <laughs> <laughs> in Burlington too. Yeah. Well, my understanding of that is that most parents if their child is having difficulty, some, somewhere inside, there's some inner critic. There's some shame, mm-hmm. you know, that I have a child who has problems. Yes, yes. And, you know, for a lot of parents, that's, um, yeah, it's just like, it's unbearable. It's unbearable to have a child with problems. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so who's to blame? I mean, you know, people are so caught in the, Somebody, somebody is to blame for this. Yeah, always about shame and guilt. Yeah, so if it's, you know, the only way I can not, it's not me that's to blame is if, if it's the child. There's something wrong with the child. You have to fix the child. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's, it's just a very, you know, it's a very intense protector that's trying to protect that parent from feeling the shame themselves of being a bad parent. And the, the problem is when they come in, that protector is so effective mm-hmm. that we don't sense the shame in the parent. Yeah. We, don't, we don't see it. Mm-hmm. All we see is a parent who's just, you know, it's all about the child. And, and so that can provoke us, right? That triggers parts of us who say, wait a minute, how can you totally blame your child? Like, yeah. aren't you, aren't, you know, how can you be so blind? Aren't you seeing, you know... Your role in this. They didn't grow up in a vacuum. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it triggers a part of us, particularly because we tend to be protective of the child. Yeah. Right? Parts of us are very protective of the child. Yeah. The child is the vulnerable one. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, this is the same thing if you're going, if you're working with a client's inner system, 
and you have a part of them who's very shaming and critical of the of the exile right of the young part of them we can we can you know do the same thing working with an individual where we feel where we can of course part of us gets angry at the part of them that is shaming themselves yes that is you know hurting themselves yes so paul how do you sit with those parents that sit with you and start blaming that ch that children <laughs> <laughs> this is really a challenge for it is a challenge it's definitely a challenge and um yeah i mean you know it varies it really varies but you know the main thing i've is is um i have to spend time just with the parents you know if the child is a, you know i used to when i was first a family therapist you know i one of the approaches i learned is that you meet with everybody in the same room yes but but ifs really changed my understanding especially when you have parents who you know yes. say this is all about the child so basically i don't i don't argue with the parents about it i just say you know i i you know if i first of all i say i'm not a child therapist mm -hmm. so i i say you you're with your child all the time yeah yeah and absolutely so if i can help you with how you how you parent your child mm -hmm. that will be the most effective way that we can help your child So I, I, you know, so that's how I work. I mean, so, you know, if parents aren't willing to uh, work with me, then, you know, okay, well, so they'll, you know, they won't work with me. But, but um, so, so I focus on the parenting piece and I'll, you know, I'll, and I'll talk about it as guidance. You know, I need, to, you know. Yes. Mm -hmm. Given what your child is going through, um, this is really hard on you. It's really hard. This is, the parenting is the hardest job on earth. Yes. Mm -hmm. And um, you, And I, you know, I share, I do a lot of sharing with parents. I'm very open about my own struggles. It's the best way to teach, right? Yeah. Yes. I want them to be clear. I am not sitting in the chair of judgment mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because that's what I think. I, I think when they come in, they're assuming. They're going to be judged by you. That as the therapist, I am sitting in judgment of them. Mm -hmm. And so I have to immediately shift that dynamic. I have to help them feel like, no, I am not the judge. I'm in this, I'm, in, I'm also a parent. I've been through tough times. I've, I, you know, I struggled as a parent too. You know, I'm in this with you. Yeah, so I have to help them feel safe with me. Safe, that's the word. And so you, you share with them your experience and your parts as a father. Yes. Yes. We should all expect having parts and being reactive parents, right? It's the only way to become less reactive. <laughs> yes. Well, so this is the other thing that, that for me has been, you know, so fundamental in changing the way I understand and the way I work, which is our reactive parts, how we respond to our reactive parts. Because I think basically the way we grow up and even our professional training mm -hmm. before, you know, before IFS is, is to not, um, is to be critical of our own re reactive parts. You know, they're just, they're just getting in the way. They're creating a problem. Exactly. For me. For me too. So with IFS, I now understand that our reactive parts are allies. They're actually allies. They're important. They help us. 
there's so much important, valuable information that our reactive parts carry um, when, when we welcome them. Yes. So yes, you know, temporarily they can get in the way until, until we have a relationship with them and listen deeply to them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, once we're in relationship to them, once we've really witnessed them, heard them, why, you know, how are they trying to help, you know, all the things that we do with a part. And then I, I ask them a really important question. I say, okay, so what do you have to offer me about this client? So if it's parents, you know, what do you have to offer me about these parents? But I do this with all my clients, you know, when I have, when I have parts that react to them. You know, what do you have to offer me mm-hmm. about my client or, or about my work with my, my client? What about myself also? Yeah, well, right, because sometimes... Sometimes the, my parts are resonating with my clients' parts, mm-hmm. and other times they're just reacting. They have a strong reaction because of uh, something they're picking up in the client, and it might be more about me. You know, so sometimes they're telling. Basically, the message is um, there's an issue that's very close to home for you. Mm-hmm. That's what the part is telling me. You have to work on something here in order if you're going to be able to be with this client, you have to do your own work. So sometimes it's, an in, it's a deep insight about the client mm-hmm. and what they're actually really needing. I'll just share one example. This is not a parenting case, but this is, okay. this is a client who um, told me that he wanted IFS. But then at any time I would try to guide him into, you know, connecting with parts or focusing inside, would get extremely annoyed with me. And critical of me and tell me it wasn't working and, you know. Okay. So I had parts that got very intimidated by him, you know, because of how harsh he would be, how how critical he would be of me. Mm -hmm. So I I had to do a lot of work with my parts. And I realized he was triggering for me memories of my father and how intimidated I felt by my father. I had lots of parts triggered by, by this relationship with him. After I spent all this time with them and listening to them and, you know, wondering, you know, what was going on for me, you know, taking care of, I had to take care of a lot of my parts. And, and then I asked, I asked all my parts, okay, so now what do you have to offer me about this client? And what I got was I'd been totally ignoring the relational piece of, of my work with him. Okay. I had been so focused on just trying to get him to do IFS. Yeah, going, going inside. That, I, that I, I totally was missing that for him, a lot of what was happening was about our relationship. Okay. And that he was trying, his parts were trying to put me into a particular role in relationship to him. He was trying to work through stuff with his father. Okay. Yes. He had a very complicated relationship with his father. And he wasn't conscious of that. Mm-hmm. You know, his parts were trying to recruit me into being in a particular role that he could work through. And once I understood that, and that came, I, that came from asking that question, what do, you, what do you all have to offer me about my client? And then I just like, this is, what, this is what's going on. It just shifted entirely how I could approach him. You know, I could relax the part of me that was trying to get him to do IFS. And I could begin to focus on trying to understand the parts of him that were doing this and what was the dynamic they were recruiting me into. 
Um, and what would be, and I, then I'd just be curious, so what is he needing from me? You really bring into, into focus the value, I, it sounds like in, in your teaching and in your clinical work, the value of honoring those reactive parts. Yes. There's a lot of emphasis on that in your work. It yes. sounds phenomenal. Would you be willing to talk about a little bit about the work with direct access that you teach as, as an essential IFS skill? Sure, I would love to do that. So I, I, I teach this seminar for people who've graduated level one. And one of the things that um, is so common for people after level one is that there's so many clients who don't take to going inside right away. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, coming out of level one, most, most people um, don't know what to do. <laughs> what do I do? They're, you know, they're not going, they're, they're, you know, the, the clients who like take IFS easily, okay, yeah, I can handle that. But what do we do when, when you know, it's hard for them to unblend, when, you know, they don't get it right away, that, you know. So that's where we have to do direct access. And we, you know, you just get introduced to it a little bit in level one. You don't really, you don't really learn it. But as it turns out, for a lot of our clients, um, that's really where we need to start. You know, we need mm-hmm. to really be doing direct access. And then we have clients who we have to do direct access with for quite a while, because maybe you know, often they've had so much trauma that their their system is just too protected. But even even I have clients even who can do can do the insight work can work with their parts can even access self energy but there are times when still parts to- totally take them over mm-hmm. they won't unblend so we have to be able to bring in direct access when it's needed you know that's a point again people often get stymied they get you know stuck like i just don't know what to do and so being being able to be comfortable with bringing in direct access at those moments when it's needed. It's precious, yes. Is really, really important. Yeah. So, yeah. So I think it is a, to- a very essential skill. I'll also say, I think it's harder. I think it's a lot harder than following the protocol and guiding people yeah. mm. to go inside. Mm. Paul, do you sit with parents and can parents give you some space to do some direct assist? Does that happen? To do direct access with parents? When you are working with parents about their children? Well, so just to um, be clear, so there are the two different kinds of direct access, right? There's... Explicit and implicit, yes. Implicit and explicit. Mm -hmm. Um, So the explicit is really when people are already pretty familiar with their parts. So then if I say to them, you know, can I, can I talk to that part directly? Yes, the explicit one. Just, just let, your, let that part be blended and let's just, you know, mm-hmm. let's just talk to mm-hmm. it directly. You know, that's, that's fine because they, they know what we're doing. But with a lot of our clients and, and often with parents, especially in the beginning. You go implicit. It's implicit direct access. So just talking about what parts you see and how to reflect kind of what's there and what you're hearing so that they can get the language? Initially, I might not even be talking about parts. Yeah. Um, initially, because um, if they're blended with a part, mm-hmm. um, I just want them to feel, so I'm being, I'm being the self for their system. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And initially, I'm just relating to that part 
understanding that that part needs to be heard, needs to be understood, acknowledged before it can relax. So I'm, that's, that's all. I'm, I'm just trying to be as validating. I'm just trying to be as present and attuned to the part they're blended with mm-hmm. validating that. as I can mm-hmm. so that it really feels, okay, he got it. Mm-hmm. He really got me. And once that part feels that, then generally it, it starts, it can, it can relax. And then something else might be possible depending on the, on the client. But initially, I'm not talking about it as a part. I'm not mentioning parts at all. I'm just being to- as present from self-energy as I can be. Just present. Yeah. I was just trying to understand how much this technique, so interesting technique director says, can be in your toolbox when you sit with parents talking about their children. Right. So the most important uh, thing that I'm doing initially in direct access is working with my own parts. Okay. Because my own parts are the ones that are cause are getting in the way of me being really in self energy with, with this blended part. Makes sense. Yes. The training that you do for the post level one on direct access, is that online? Do all level one participants have access to you? You know, when they want to deepen their understanding and, and get less clunky with direct access, how can people find out and, and link up with that really? Yeah, so um, no, I don't have a, a, a training on that uh, online. Uh, the, the level two called deepening and expanding. and expanding has direct access in it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So if people do that level two, they will get more about direct access. Mm-hmm. So in Australia, I'm going to be doing a two-day workshop on direct access. That's great. You should come to Lisbon too. We have to plan that. Yes. <laughs> I'm just seeing these interesting topics that you have been visiting in your wonderful journey. The power of presence in internal family system therapy, your experiences as a, a parent. As you said, the importance of honoring our reactive parts as a source of valuable information about ourselves and then IFS and climate change wow and another one that I love I don't know if we have time today or we have to schedule another talk the gift of our exiles that is huge I'm very curious about about these those topics IFS and climate change and the gifts of our exiles you say Uh, somehow that, um, and I believe it's really the common, a common experience that we fear approaching exiles. Approaching exiles is frightening for most of the, the less experienced practitioners. Could you tell us a little bit more about IFS and climate change before we go into exiles? Huge topic. Sure, I, w- I would love to. So, um, yeah, climate change, climate, you know, at, at this point we need to be really calling it our climate emergency. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's something that um, I feel very deeply. You know, my own, my own experience has been that um, it's really hard. It's, it's just so hard to mm-hmm. hold my awareness of the reality of it mm-hmm. and um, hard to feel... Not to not feel over, totally overwhelmed, totally helpless mm-hmm. in reaction to it. 
Um, and also to feel isolated. I often, you know, I, I can also often feel isolated. Less so now, but, um, you know, there's this sense of, you know, we're all needing, we, you know, our, just living our, our daily lives takes so much attention and mm -hmm. energy. It is. I often have this very disturbing feeling of um, that, you know, we're all living in denial, you know, like something terrible things are about to happen and we're just going about our lives as, as if, as if it's not, mm -hmm. it's not going to happen. I hear people talking about things that are going to be happening in the future. Mm -hmm. And I say, but you know, what about climate change? Mm -hmm. You know, how is that going to affect what you're, mm -hmm. you know, all these plans that you're talking about? Um, finally, you know, cities are beginning to actually plan for climate change. And that's, mm -hmm. it's, that's, it's been some relief for my system, actually, when I see that, you know, actually, yeah. there are organizations and cities that are finally taking it seriously. Some very, very seriously, some very slowly. My city is all, uh, Burlington is all fueled on renewables. Yes. Yeah. It's a relief when, when people around me are, are fine. Like, so my, my synagogue just made a decision to have solar panels covering our parking lot. Right. Mm -hmm. And what, a, what an important thing for just for my parts. Like, okay, we're doing something. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But when we don't know what we can do, and, you know, being helpless in regard to something so frightening is a really hard place to be. Anyway. So um, two colleagues of, of, uh, and I created um, a workshop, wow. Beth Davenport and Corky Becker. We created a workshop, and it's based on a model of dialogue created by a, an organization called um, Public Conversation Project. Mm -hmm. um, their name has since changed to Essential Partners, but um, they created a model of dialogue in the 1980s when there was a very polarized time around abortion. Okay. So you had the pro-life groups and um, groups who were um, felt that, you know, a uh, woman's right to choose was really important. Mm -hmm. And it was. Um, there was a shooting, you know, in Boston, you know, people were, were murdered wow. um, in, in clinics. Oh, yeah, I remember that. So they created this model of dialogue, and it was actually based on skills of family therapy. Good. Mm -hmm. um, and they brought together the leaders in Boston from both sides and they met with them for a year in these dialogue sessions wow that is huge um, and at the end of the year they gave a um, press conference where they talked about how they still disagreed with each other but they had become good friends and they and they all agreed that um, they needed to calm down the bitterness of the mm -hmm. of the public conversation around this and they, that is they, great. they agreed that you know there needed to be conversation and dialogue and mm -hmm. you know to, to be able to to deal with their differences mm -hmm. anyway we so we integrated that that model and ifs um to create a, a, a method for helping people talk with each other about their parts around climate change. Wow. Right. Interesting. Makes sense. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah, so we, it was a structured approach that would guide people through 
identifying um, the protective parts of them that come up around climate change, mm -hmm. and then uh, you know help them go. Okay, so what's underneath the protective parts? What are the more most vulnerable parts? Mm -hmm. um, and can you be with them and you know uh, hear hear their concerns and fears and um, and then you know look at. Um, help people look at, you know, what's their vision for how they would like to be engaged um, mm -hmm. in, uh, around climate change and what gets in the way, you know, what parts of them get in the way. Um, and so it, it was a process that um, I would say universally, when people went through this workshop, um, they would come through it feeling uh, so relieved at connecting with these parts and also um, feel like they, they no longer felt so isolated in their reactions and felt more hopeful, felt like there was something that they could do. Can make a difference, a huge difference. Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah. So to me, it's so key to, to overcome our isolation and to connect with other people. I want to just recommend this book by Joanna Macy, who is a Buddhist activist. And she wrote a book called Active Hope. And she has a wonderful model of guiding people through um, their grief and despair around what's happening mm -hmm. to connecting with other people and finding a way to listen to your heart and, mm -hmm. and, and really respond from your heart um, with other people. You know, what, what, what is it that I can do? Mm -hmm. And she, there's one key piece that I think is really important. She, she says that there are three narratives um, that are happening um, in, our, in our world right now. Um, one is the narrative is business as usual. There's nothing, there's nothing that we can't solve, you know. We, we just... Okay. Just mm -hmm. keep doing what we're doing and... And see what happens. And, you know, we'll, any problems that we have, we'll figure them out. We'll solve them. We don't have to do anything mm -hmm. different. Um, the mm -hmm. second narrative is um, a narrative of doom. Um, we're watching now our, our civilization yeah. fall apart. There's nothing we can do. Um, it's hopeless. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, we're on a path of self-destruction and things are just going to fall apart. That one is sad and is risky, yes. <laughs> and the third one is what she calls the great turning. It's basically, she says, um, we have to go through a dark time. Things, things have to look really bad and get bad. Um, uh, we have to go through it um, to come to the other side. So that's the, that's the, the hope. The hope is... Um, you know, that we, we can and will get, get to the other side if we have that understanding and approach. So, so basically, it's dangerous. It really, it's, the first two are pretty dangerous. If you, you know, they, it's not, she's not guaranteeing we're going to, you know, have the great turning and get to the other side. It's really which, which narrative is going to win out. Very interesting and very helpful. And what I, what I notice is that I have parts that spend time in all three places. Mm. I have parts who 
sometimes feel like, yes, the doom narrative, that's the true one. That's, that's really what's happening. I have parts who say, you just have to focus on your life. You know, you have a lot going on in your life. Just, just, just do that. Just do, you know, you have to business as usual. You just got to do it, do what you got to do. And then hopefully, you know, the, the story I'd like to hang out in the most is the, is the, 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 the hopeful one. And, but one of the things that's helpful there is she says, you have to stay connected to your heart. Mm -hmm. Um, and not, it's not a managerial place. It's not like you, you can't be measuring by, um, you know, how successful are you being? It's really more, you know, listening to your heart, listening to your soul, um, coming from self, really. That's the place we really need to, to try to land. But we need to do it not alone and maybe connect to them in groups. Right, exactly. Because somehow we need almost heal the world. Mm. We need to do it together. Right, exactly. Yeah. This work and, and this, this particular dialogue lands for, for me, for a lot of my clients who are up at the university, they're studying environmental science and natural resources and sometimes get so hopeless in learning about uh, the world ecology um, that they, that they want to change majors or drop out of school. Um, and so, you know, mm -hmm. thinking about workshops that exist that can really get them in touch with their parts and create connections with other people. Uh, it, it sounds so relevant for right now. And I'm, I'm so glad you're doing this mm -hmm. work and illuminating it. Mm. This is the first yes. I'm hearing about I, IFS and climate change together. So it's it's really exciting, Paul. Mm. Very welcome. Very yeah. necessary. Yes. Yeah. Paul, I'm enjoying so much this conversation, and I'm just wondering if we we need another time to sit together again uh, as soon as possible for um, uh, going into these wonderful topic of the gifts of our exiles. I, I think this needs um, a good space to be to be visited and, um, and for you to lead us on these uh, qualities of exiles. You say, and I'm quoting you from your workshop in, in last conference, IFS conference, you say for most people the prospect of approaching exiles is frightening. Our protectors tend to see our exiles as dangerous, shameful, or fragile. They are unable to see beyond the exiles' burdens, and even the exiles often think that themselves they are their, their burden. And so this is a workshop where you somehow help us to see the aliveness, the joy, the passion, the qualities of exiles. So this is so important. I would like to invite you to sit with me and teach again. Oh, well, sure. I would. I would love to. Yes, that would be wonderful. And we have a couple of questions regarding the future that we can maybe uh, offer you for the second time together. We could do like a condensed uh, interview so people can really focus in on the exiles if they're interested. That'd sure. Be wonderful. Okay, sounds good. Would you be willing to do it with us soon? We will find a time. Sure, I would, I would be happy to. you. Wonderful. So, by now, we want so much. Thank you for all that you shared today with us. Is there anything that you want 
to share with us as a, as a link to our next conversation regarding the future of IFS, if you want to share with us. Is there that something that you'd like to, to share with us about the future in IFS as you see the model unfolding and, and exploding and, and also evolving, is somehow evolving? Well, first of all, I want to say I'm grateful to the two of you because, um, I, you know, I'm just I'm just aware of how how much passion there is in in me around the things that I've been sharing today. There is, and, yes. Um, so, yeah, I, I that's felt good. You know, there's something in me that has felt good about this opportunity to share my passions. Um, with you and um, you know who, who, whoever might be listening, the future of IFS is actually a pretty big topic. <laughs> yes, I know. You know, there's so much potential in IFS. That would be another episode. Yeah, there's so much potential. We'll schedule two more. <laughs> <laughs> two more. You know, I'll just say that another area that I'm also passionate about that that I didn't even mention yet is. Um, how IFS helps us deal with diversity. Mm. And in particular in this country with so important. racism and um, yeah. the way that white supremacy has affected our culture and all of us. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. So that's, that's another huge, um, another huge area. Topic. Great. Mm -hmm. Great. Wonderful. Thank you so much for your for your open-hearted and vulnerable and really insightful talk today. I really appreciated it. And I appreciate reconnecting with you. It's probably been 10 years. And yeah, I've I've always always wanted to take another workshop with you. So hopefully that will happen. Yeah. I got a, a mini version today. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, thank you, Tisha. It's great, great to connect with you. Um, and also you, Annabelle. This has been this has been great for me. Thank you. Thank you so much, Paul. We used to say it was a joy to be here with you and teacher. We used to say hope we can keep meeting and sharing this model, our work and our lives. But we have to have today speak soon. Yes. Because we are going to have a second episode. Yes, I, I look forward to that. It's necessary. Thank you. Thank you so much. Take care. Take care. This was an IFS Talks episode, an audio series to deepen connections with the internal family systems model through conversations with lead trainers, authors, practitioners, and users.